Hey, good day, everybody, and welcome to Closing the Digital Divide. Today, we have with us Brooke Coleman, who is the Senior Manager of Business Development Team for the Compliance and Regulatory Line of Business at Widelity. Boy, that is a mouthful, Brooke. Thank you, and <laughs> welcome to the show. You're welcome. <laughs> now, Widelity is a leading provider of compliance and government funding consulting, and Brooke, um, and as I was reading through this book, I was like, wow, I finally found someone who is busier than I am. So she manages research and outreach for business development opportunities for the compliance and regulatory team, she manages social media, content, and marketing materials. Um, she builds partnerships in the industry, interact with leaders, opportunities and clients, draft project proposals, and complete sales. Brooke, when do you sleep? Oh, for about four or five hours here and there, you know. <laughs> well, thank you for taking the time to be with us today. One of the first questions that I always ask people, and Brooke, I get different answers sometimes depending on where I am and, and who I'm talking to. What is the digital divide and why is it so important that we all help to close this gap? Sure. Well, thank you. Thank you, Charles, for having me on. I'm really excited to be here and, and talk about this really important topic today. Um, so, so to me, the digital divide is simply, you know, the inequity between both access and the utilization of the Internet. Um, there's a variety of access speeds based on location. There's a variety of, you know, devices that are used in the home. So, yes, it's, it's speed, but it's also the usage of the Internet. And there's just a difference across the board. Um, and so, you know, where where you are born or where you live largely determines your level of broadband access. And it can have a significant, you know, influence and implications into somebody's future. So um, you looked at my LinkedIn uh I was a, a teacher at heart. I went through the the Teach for America program, and so you know, built into my soul is 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 education. Um, so a lot of the things I talk about are are around education. But with Teach for America, the whole the whole mission is that no matter where you are born or what zip code you're born in, you you deserve to have access to a high quality education. And I strongly believe in that mission. Um, obviously, I'm in the telecommunications industry now, um, but it's the same mission with the digital divide. It's no matter where you are born or where you live, you should still have access to high speed Internet service. You know, we this is so why it's so important. And, you know, we learned this through COVID. I know COVID is 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 over and, you know, we don't wear masks out and anymore, but we learn so much. And, and mm -hmm. sometimes people are quick to forget. But let's not forget what happened the last two years of COVID that, you know, the digital divide and, and broadband access is so important for education. But it's not, you know, when you, when you hear that, it's not just education for kids. It's education for adults, right. too. You know, a working mom or a working dad can, can get their master's degree or their bachelor's degree or even their doctorate degree at home if they have the proper access in order to attend online school at night. So, you know, people say education, but it's not just for, for kids. Um, and then additionally, I, I have a, a stepson who's 14 and he does virtual school. He started doing virtual school because of COVID, but he's loved it so much that he's continued to do so. This wouldn't have been a thing five years ago. You know, right, it, it, right. everyone went to school in person. There was no other option. But because of COVID and because I, I'm lucky enough to live in a place where I have good Internet, um, you know, he can attend school. I work from home. My husband works from home. He's upstairs doing school right now. So, you know, we, we, because we have access, but right. not everyone has the same access that we do. 
And, you know, that's, that's the digital divide right there. Um, you know, having the, the education, the work from home opportunities, the telehealth, the, the IOT devices, um, you know, yes, it's cool to have a smart, a smart home and all of these IOT devices, but there's also a safety piece to it. Thinking about the elderly, sure. you know, and some elderly folks can stay in their homes longer if they have more uh, safer home with some, maybe they're connected to some IOT devices that they can do telehealth and then, you know, they'll alert somebody to help if they fall. Um, you know, and then it's also the quality of life. I think from, sure. from COVID, we learned the importance of being connected to the outside world. Um, and then bringing back to IOT devices, my, my grandmother was in her nineties and she was up in Ohio and I'm down here in Nashville. So I didn't get to see her that often. She didn't get to see my kids that often, but we had a digital picture frame. And so, because she had okay Wi-Fi at the nursing home. It wasn't great, but it was good enough for a digital picture frame. Um, she was, I was able to update on my phone an app that updated pictures so she could see my kids grow up and she could be in the nursing home wow, and, and see those pictures. Awesome. So, you know, it's, yes, it's just, you know, it's just the internet, but it's so, it has so grandiose, you know, implications of mm -hmm. the benefits of it and, you know, all different aspects of our lives. And, and I, I, will, I will comment on that in that, you know, I got in this business back in 2016. So I had heard a story and I'd lived in rural areas all my life, but I had heard a story about a young girl and I don't know if it's true or not, but um, it kind of motivated me. I heard a story of a young girl who, teenager, who was coming home late from a, a school event, uh, ran off the road, hit a tree, had no cellular service. Yeah. in order to call um, for help. And unfortunately, she didn't make it. And when I heard that story, it just, it because I have, I, I raised seven girls, six girls. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so I, I couldn't imagine, you know, what those folks felt like um, not having the ability to, to reach out and uh, test that. So um, great yeah. stuff. Great, great uh, response to that, that question, Brooke. So from your position at Widelity, what is Widelity's main role, would you say, in helping to close the digital divide? Yeah, so, you know, I talked about the digital divide is, is an issue of access um, with speed and then as well as devices. But I think right now the where, where we're at as a country as a whole, not every single area, but as a country as a whole, you know, we, we need to focus on access. We need to focus on getting people up to speed and getting them the high speed service that they can even have a device to use, right? So at Widelity, you know, we assist internet service providers with applying to these government grant programs in order to build out that infrastructure um, that's, that's needed in order to increase that access. So we work with tier two, tier three, small providers who may not have experience with applying to government programs before. This is, you know, a, just a massive influx of, of dollars into the industry. And so we help those internet service providers who don't have experience apply. Also, we work with clients who have past experience and are traumatized um, and they know the, the amount of work that, that is involved and they, they need help. Um, you know, they don't have the staff to be able to apply to these programs um, and they want a trusted expert in order to do that. And that, that's where Widelity comes in. Um, I think one of the, the challenges for, with government programs and small businesses is that a provider, you know, has to pay for labor and costs up front 
And then they get reimbursed those costs 30, 60 days later before they receive their, their funds. So they have to float mm -hmm. that cash sometimes for a significant amount of time. Um, and if they're not doing the paperwork right, then it just delays the, the funds getting back to them. So that's sort of our mission. You know, yes, we help clients apply to programs, but then we also help them stay compliant and actually receive their reimbursements to pay their bills. Um, so, so we specialize in all of that paperwork kind of involved there. So as a, um, as a part of that, um, it sounds like you guys really help on the front end because there's a lot of work. I spent 16 years in, at, at, at a federal agency and the bureaucracy is enormous, especially mm -hmm. when applying for funding. Um, talk to me a little bit about how you guys help them to prepare. Yeah, so, um, you know, I have a lot of initial meetings with clients just to, to talk about the program rules, just to, to make sure first that they qualify, that they're eligible, that they're looking in the right areas. Um, so that's sort of mm -hmm. in the, the precursor stage of just, you know, let's let's get you a good plan because the better prepared and the better plan a client has, the more successful that they're going to be. Um, so, you know, in order to prepare, you, obviously it's make a plan. So where do you go? What do you want to build? Um, you know, what, what sort of area do you want to reach? What is your mission? Figure out what those goals are. Are you simply expanding your network or are you building something new? Start gathering data, um, you know, make data informed decisions, looking at the maps and all of the information and resources that are out there. So we can, we sort of help guide the client through, you know, what, what needs to be done um, in order to get prepared. Some additional things for, for getting prepared are, are making sure financials are in place. So a lot of these programs now are requesting audited financials. Um, some of them are saying reviewed financials are okay, but you will have to eventually get audited financials. Shall you win an award? So, you know, it's just something to, to keep in mind. Um, applicants should be GAP compliant. It's a, a certain term. Talk to your CPA about it if you don't know what it means. Um, you'll need a letter of credit, potentially, depending on the program. You'll need matching funds. So figuring out solutions for that. Um, and, and one of the big things that's coming up lately is, is making sure you're compliant with the FCC as well as the state that you're applying to. Um, so being compliant with the FCC typically means that you've submitted your FCC BDC, the broadband data collection form um, mm -hmm. on time and you're submitting your data, you know, truthfully and honestly, and you're compliant from the FCC standpoint. Uh, and then making sure if there's any compliance things with the state. Some states have required internet service providers to provide that data to the state so they can make a state map. So just be sure that you're aware of, of what the compliance, you know, challenges might be and make sure that you check those boxes. Um, additionally, to prepare, I'd say to, to build up community support, you're going to need letters of community support in order to apply to these programs uh, and build your team. You know, you're going to want good partners in your team, whether it be vendors, whether it be staff, um, whether it be community anchor institutions, you know, build up your team so that you can really put forth a strong application, especially if you're a tier two or a tier three provider competing with a tier one and you're and you're worried about that, you know, look at the scoring guide for the, the program that you're applying to. See where you can maximize your points. Where do you bring in strengths that others do not? Um, and then for BEAD specifically, you're going to need a cybersecurity plan. That is something that you'll need to start mm -hmm. planning now. Uh, you'll also need to consider environmental challenges, do any sort of NEPA requirements, 
uh, and then create a climate resilient plan and how build a network that is resilient to, to climate change. That's that's one of the components of the bead, bead program. So there's a lot of different things in order to prepare. Um, and we sort of try to coach our clients through that process of like, okay, do this, do that, get these things together, get your ducks in a row. Um, and then we take all of it together, write narratives, enter data into the portal and help them submit. Wow, that's... You know, my head's spinning already. I'm sorry. How yes. Does, <laughs> how does one decide what program um, to go after? What program fits? Um, is it area? Is it size of company? Is it the um, the partnership? It's where you're trying to build. What what actually leads a an entity to say, "Hey, I want to go after this funding." Yeah, so I think part of it is, you know, what it, what is your business? Are you an internet service provider? Are you a for-profit company, a non-profit company? Are you an ILEC? Are you a CLEC? Are you an electric co-op? Um, so that kind of can, can play a factor into it. We're seeing more and more through the Capital Projects Fund and through the BEAD Fund that, that most of these programs are open up to all of those entities that I just listed. So it, it's beginning to grow in the sense of opening up to, to the entire industry of, if you're a provider, then you're most likely going to be be eligible. So step one is, you know, figuring out if you're an eligible entity. Are you compliant with all of those things that I that I just said? You know, the FCC and and compliant within your state. Um, that's gonna gonna be important. And then your location. Where are you? Are you in an urban area that is marked as served or unserved, or are you in a, in in a uh, rural area that's that's unserved and underserved? What's your population? Um, if you're an area that's that's rural and unserved, and when I say rural, I mean less than 20,000 people, then you can qualify for a lot of the USDA type programs. But if you are not that rural, then you won't qualify for those. You'll probably want to look more towards your state programs. Um, the, all the 50 states are slowly running, rolling out their, their capital projects fund programs. And then in the near future, all of the states will be rolling out their bead programs. So um, it, location matters. The, the FCC broadband data fabric map, that's gonna matter. You know, looking at that map and finding areas that are anything below 100 over 20 are likely gonna be eligible for, for grant funding. You know, they, they've sort of become a, a universal definition of, of unserved and underserved is the 25 over three and then the 100 over 20. So those are sort of your your two buckets of of areas to look at for for funding. So as a as a I, I, I get that as an ISP, but you know as an ISP they're or CSP whichever uh, they decide to call themselves, they're going to be working with a municipality or a mm -hmm. town or or a county. How does that work, or, or do you guys also help those entities to work with the ISPs? Or so we can. Um, our business is typically generated around the the private industry and helping the private industry access funds, but we can sort of facilitate that that relationship if it needs to be. Um, public public private partnerships, I think, was a big mm -hmm. big like the word of the year last year. Um, right. So it's definitely going to help in an application if you can create a public private partnership with a community. Mm -hmm. uh, and and it also depends on the state that you're in. So different states like Florida and Virginia. Um, and Massachusetts, they they highly uh, encourage municipalities to be sort of the lead applicant, and that's where they you know want the money to flow from. 
-hmm. Other states are more open to the private industry and more open to just giving the funds to an internet service provider who maybe has a letter of support from that county or that community. Um, so there's sort of different tiers and levels of, of a public-private partnership. It could be simply a letter of support, or it could be um, a 50-50 cost share or, you know, a a variety of different things, but there's different levels of a public-private partnership that, that could be involved. So you mentioned something that I wasn't really planning on going in this direction, and you can change my mind if you want, to, but you did mention mapping. Yes. And how that affects everything that we do, all the funding, building, everything that we do. Where does Wadelity stand on where we are in the official mapping at this point? So, I mean, the, the, the maps, the, the maps are what they are, you know, the FCC is, is doing what they can. I think they have mm -hmm. a, a big challenge to try to, to get every single location and to get accurate data. I think it's going to be a process like anything with the government is. Um, so, you know, the, there, there is data that's currently out there. There is a challenge process. So if the data isn't right, you know, we need to challenge it. We need to make mm -hmm. these maps the way that they should be. Um, I think that I, I was at the the Bead Summit Success Conference last week, and the NTIA is very firm on their June 30th deadline. They are going to make the state the bead allocations on June 30th, stating you know that all the states and in, in what their allocation is going to be based on the FCC map at that at that time. Um, so you know, it it could be 10 years before we get to a really good FCC broadband map. It, it's just an iterative process of of challenging the data and making you know working together as an industry in order to make this really you know useful useful tool but we don't have 10 years to wait so at some point right. someone's got to draw a line in the sand and say enough is enough we, we got what we got and let's go with it and so I think that's what the NTIA is doing and, and on June 30th they'll make the allocations based on the data we have at the time and they'll you know we'll just do our best so it's going to be pretty important for the entities out there to, to try and get those challenges in, especially in, in rural areas where there's a, the, the, let's, let's just face it, the digital divide is wider in rural areas than it is in, in urban areas. Although mm -hmm. it, is, it is prevalent in, in both cases, but I think in rural yes. areas, it's, it's more of a, uh, it's, it's more magnified. You, 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 we tend to see it more in rural areas. Well, you can see it on the map, right? You can see it on the map mm -hmm. a whole lot easier. And, and you know, the map in, in downtown Houston, I was working with a client in Houston and you zoom into down, everyone appears to be served, but he lives there and he knows he doesn't have access, right. but it's not shown there on the map. And then how do you, how do you challenge that? How do you go up against AT&T and say, no, you don't actually provide me service. Um, and, and so that's, that's a, a big challenge. And I think the challenge process through the FCC is good and people should still be out there giving challenges. Um, but I think the deadline is, as far as right now is, I think the, the window's closed, but it is gonna be an ongoing process. So, um, you know, these maps need to be revised before grants are gonna be made at the state. Mm -hmm. um, the states need to be working on their state maps and I know they are um, in order to, to apply their, their bead funds, you know, accordingly so that the fund, the money is, is well spent. It's $42 billion, but it's it's only $42 billion. It's going to go fast. Right. And in, 
I, at the conference, the, the Beep conference, you know, the NTIA said the whole mission, and they are, they are committed to this mission, that internet is for all. And they really do mean all, that every American will be brought up to speed to 100 over 20, uh, you know, across, across the nation. And so that's a very lofty goal for only $42 billion. So I'm excited to see what will happen. Um, it will be a very bumpy road. I know there will be lots of challenges sure. along the way, um, but it will be it will be a very exciting exciting time to see some some closure in the digital divide. Well, and I'm I'm going to shift gears here a little bit. Um, I was uh, recently reading articles that was done by uh, Blair Levine, who's a uh, former attorney at the FCC, and one of the, two things really caught my attention. One was, he said, I'm going to pull this up so I don't misquote. And I know this is part of a, 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 a broader conversation, but I think it's, it's pertinent here because of the, the conversation we're having here now. And he said that America has an unfortunate track record of public projects taking longer and being more expensive than in other countries. And as I read through some of the things that, that you guys are doing, and, and helping prepare, do you do you feel like that would would help to mitigate some of these projects that are taking longer to do and costing more money? Yeah, I think that's you know the standard American problem. It definitely rings true to, to all of our our history and, and the things that we've tried to done tried to do in the past. Um, but I think moving forward, it's it's preparation. You know, preparation is is that key to success. If you have a good design, if you have a good plan, you have a solid budget and you have a timeline, you got to stick to that timeline. I think there's going to be a lot of challenges with supply chain. Um, things are not going to co go unscheduled and there's weather delays. It happens, but you need to, to plan for the worst case scenario. Um, you know, there are compliance challenges. If you don't meet your timelines, you don't meet your deadlines, you don't meet your your speed requirements that you say that you're going to to, to provide to your residents. Um, you know, they if you don't meet what you agreed to in that grant agreement, funds could be clawed back. Um, you could be fined. You may have to ask for an extension, which which happens. But you know, they're only going to give you so long to to do your project. Um, so it's just important to sort of plan if you plan for those contingencies you plan for worst case scenarios um, you you get the trusted partners in your corner to be able to help you execute you have good project managers you know uh, the workforce is another thing that's going to be a major challenge of, of having the right workforce and that can cause timeline delays so just mm -hmm. thinking about all of the different factors before you apply including them in your application so that you address them up front and have a plan for them I think would help mitigate some of that risk. As a follow-up question to that, um, the president recently came out with the Buy America Act. Mm -hmm. How is that going to impact these projects? Um, you already talked about supply chain. Um, yeah. It's going to be a. It's going to be pretty tough to do. It's a, it's going to be a huge challenge for this industry. So, you know, at, at the conference I was at last week, the, the NTIA said that they are working on some additional guidance for the BABA rules as it applies to BEAD. They're also working on on potential waivers. Um, so the the fiber is is built here in the U.S. We have Corning and Comscope that build the fiber. So it was my interpretation that that you will have to buy American fiber. But the electronics are not made here. So what do we do? 
Well, they're they're interviewing and talking to a variety of vendors and trying to understand the industry, understand where do you get all your products from, what can be made here in the U.S., what has to happen offshore, what can we do to sort of problem solve and meet the Buy American requirements, and what things can't meet those Buy American requirements. So they did say that there would be a specific, potentially that there would be a specific waiver for anything that is made offshore that cannot be made here in the United States. So they they understand the BABA challenges. They they understand they need to be flexible. So that was very encouraging to hear um, that they they do get it. They do understand. They are working on guidance. They are working on potential waivers. And with the supply chain point, they're considering. I have to be very careful with the words I use. They're considering a a waiver for for time. So let's say you know something is is a year or a year and a half out before you can actually get it. That's, we don't have time to wait for that. You have to have your build done by 2028. You don't have a year, year and a half to wait for one piece of equipment in order for the, for the build to move on. So they are considering a, a time specific or time sensitive type waiver, waiver if there are supply chain issues. Okay. And the last thing, and we're quickly running out of time, this has been extremely educational and informative. Um, ACP program. Yeah. It has not been uh, refunded as of yet. What is the impact um, from your perspective of not funding that ACP program going to have on closing the digital divide? I think it's astronomical. You you spend all of this time getting these these families signed up. They're getting this discount on their bill. They're finally feeling encouraged that they can connect to the internet and that they can afford it and then you pull it away. You also have all of these providers who have, have registered and, and done all of the paperwork. It is not easy to get involved in this program. So, you know, they, 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 they went through all the hurdles, they went through all the hoops in order to provide this, this discount to their, to their customers. Um, and then you pull it away from them and they don't have an option to, to give a, a low cost option to, to their residents. Their residents aren't going to be happy. They're going to you know, unsubscribe and say, I can't afford this anymore. It's just going to further to the digital divide tenfold, a hundredfold. I, I mean, it, it would be awful. I, I know that the ACP program, they say is a bipartisan issue, but like you said, it's not in any budget anywhere. It's it's not in any legislation yet, It but it will run out. Anyone who wins a capital project fund money from the Department of Treasury, so the state programs that are happening right now, mm-hmm. are required to participate in that program. So you're going to have an increase, a major increase, major uptake in all of these providers and these residents, you know, participating in this program, it's going to run out very quickly. I think someone estimated early next year and, and there is no, no route to refund that right now. So um, it would be, it would be catastrophic if, if it doesn't get refunded. So um, any lobbyists listening, you know, that's, that would definitely be, be a program that, that definitely needs to be refunded. Well, hopefully um, we'll get this out to some some decision-making ears and uh, we can get that on someone's agenda here uh, very soon. Brooke, mm-hmm. this has been great. I, I so appreciate you coming on. You're, you have so much information. Um, tell our audience if they want to use your services, how they can get in touch with you. Yeah, um, you know, simply just just send us an email. You can email me personally, brooke.coleman at ydelity.com. 
Uh, we have, a, I think, a generic email account, um, compliance.info at Widelity account. You'll get my whole team. Uh, so yeah, just just reach out, email us. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. Follow me on LinkedIn. Um, reach out to me via LinkedIn. Happy to connect, even just to to share share stories, share insights, share education. Mm -hmm. Happy just to talk. That is awesome. Well, Brooke, again, appreciate you coming on. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, this has been this has been awesome. Um, I look forward to many, many more chats with you to help me get educated. And uh, would be happy but, to. Thank you for so, having me, Charles. You're welcome. And uh, you guys have a great day. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.